0: So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and the Old Testament, or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're gonna go through the Bible and we're gonna talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Good people and welcome to Bible School. I'm so glad you decided to join us this evening, morning, whatever, I guess whenever you're recording uh, or listening rather. I guess I'm recording, you're listening. Um, We are in Revelation 16 uh, and we are moving swiftly, 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 swiftly toward um, making this thing happen and uh, well finishing this this book. I am uh, quite happy, quite excited uh guys we are we are in i like i've I think i've said it a thousand times we're in the thick of it uh here in chapter 16 we are <laughs> i think last time I said the cleaning crew has arrived and the cleaning crew definitely had arrived uh because we are dealing with sin we're dealing with sin something we don't like to talk about i think um earlier in my life and in generations past we like to talk about sin we but we like to talk about sin i think in the wrong ways we like to talk about uh, my sin is better than your sin or my sin is worse than your sin or your sin is worse than my sin. Uh, you can't come over here cause you sin differently. Uh, you're going to have to get that together before you can come in. We dealt, we dealt with it, but we dealt with it wrong. And the truth of the matter, I think the further we get into this book, the more we, we come to an understanding of the love of God, the deity of God and the sovereignty of God. We understand the rankness of sin and how uh, devious and how demented and how delusional Satan is. Uh, so we're dealing with sin but we're not the ones dealing with it um, God is dealing with it um, and he's he's dealing with it you know we when he when Christ died on the cross he freed us from it and now he's killing it it's kind of like uh, if you think about one of those movies or TV shows where the girl is or the guy is trapped in a, they're trapped in a closet they're trapped in a basement. And, um, and so their captor is out there tormenting them and then SWAT shows up or some great savior person shows up and they free the per the kid, they free the girl, they free the guy, whomever it is, they free them, they get them out, but they, ha- they- but after that you have to deal with the guy who was tormenting the person that was trapped. And so when Christ died on the cross, um, uh, he freed us from the captor. He got us out of his snare. Uh, we were no longer subject to him. We were no longer Lorded by him, we were no he was no we were no longer his slave okay that was, that's that's what happened at the cross right now he's dealing with the captor, he's dealing with the liar he's dealing with the, the guy who causes us to fall, and he's dealing with those who didn't want to be free, you know uh they talk about that that syndrome where people fall in love with their captors and and so we're seeing that that there are people who fall in love with the captives. And in about a chapter or two, we're going to see that there are people who are the seed of Satan. Um, And so there, there's, there's so much wrapped up in, in here. There's so much wrapped up in here, but we are dealing with, we're not, God here is dealing with sin he freed us at Calvary. Now he's killing it. He's dealing with it. He's punishing it. He's, he's making sure it gets its retribution. And because he's righteous, like we talked about the last time, because he's holy, like he talked about the last time, um, here we see him pouring out what is due upon the folks on the earth. All right. We're in revelation 16, uh, revelation 16, verse one, we find these words. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vows of the wrath of God upon the earth. And, and they went first and poured out his vow upon the earth. And there fell noisome and grievous sore upon the men, which have the mark of the beast and upon them, which worship his image. All right. The first thing I want you to see is, okay, we're we're dealing with the temple. Now you remember, there's no mention of the temple until the church is, is, is missing. So obviously we're in a different age, a different time. Uh, a time that is yet future um, where God is still fulfilling promises and, and he's still fulfilling uh prophecy and things are coming into being. Okay. So that's the first thing. Uh, but then he's given instruction to the first angel and and when we see vile he's pouring the first vial. That's also a bowl. Okay. Let's think about it. This is the first bowl of wrath. Okay. Now I want you to also remember that the first time he was pouring stuff out, he, we were dealing with judgments. We were dealing with trumpet judgments. Okay. Um, he was pouring out stuff, trumpet judgments, and, and they're going to look very similar to what we're about to see. These bowls or these vials of wrath look like, but see the judgments and the and the tr- and the 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 wrath are two different things. They're going to look similar, but they're two different things. All right, and I want us to keep that in our in our minds. Now I want you to say he's pouring this out on the earth, um, and then he fell a noisome and grievous sore on them. I want that sounds so familiar. It's familiar because in Exodus nine eight through 13, they broke out. Um, and there was the, the, in the various plagues, there fell some sores, those boils that showed up in the middle of the plagues, that sixth plague that happened in Egypt. Um, but because he promised he would never do that. I imagine this is much worse. I imagine this is much grievous. This is much more disgusting. Um, and and I also, because I am a, a Bible teacher, I want you to be able to apply this word to you the sores okay when you, sores are typically an outward sign of an inward problem okay um, I don't necessarily think this is idiomatic here but it, it I think it very well will be because when we look at scripture uh, when he promises us prosperity he says above all else I, I, I wish that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers um, that tells me that the the state of your soul is going to determine the state of, of everything else. And so if there's a soul problem on the inside, we're going to see an, an, um, a problem that arises on the outside. If there's a spirit problem on the inside, something on the outside is going to show it. Um, and so I, I I think, I believe that this verse, that there are actually going to be people be people who are walking around with boils and sores. And all of this stuff is going to happen when he pours out his bile. But I will say this, is that for, for your edification and for your study and for... Uh, the purposes of the people that are left on earth, there's a problem on the inside. Okay. And that problem on the inside is bleeding out. It's like when I have the flu and I start getting uh, flu, flu bumps or fever bumps on me, uh, there's something wrong on the inside. When, um, when I'm having uh, an allergic reaction, something that is toxic to me has gotten on the inside and is showing on the outside. Okay. And so while I do not believe this is idiomatic, I do want you to be thinking on multiple dimensions as we read through the verses. Now, with that understood and with us thinking about that, let's compare this to Deuteronomy 28, okay? Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Uh, I'm going to read verse 27 and I'm going to read you verse 35. So I'm going to skip around. Verse 27 says, And the Lord will smite thee with botch of Egypt, and with the emirates, and with the scab, and with the itch, wherefore thou canst be healed. Ooh. Verse 35 says, The Lord shall smite thee in the knees. And then in the legs, you with know, a sore botch, that cannot be healed, from the sole of thy foot, and up and until the top of thy head. This is this 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 particular prophecy here in Deuteronomy has yet to be fulfilled, and I think that that right here in Revelation 16 is where we're going to see it fulfilled. Okay, that he's he's going to pour this out on them, and it's going to be something that does not come with healing. Now you remember, the plagues of Egypt came with healing. Um, they were more so, more so judgment or so. Um, there was eventually a turning, even though there was a turning back, this is not judgment. This is not trying to get a response. This is, this is you getting what you deserve. It's not trying. It's not a spanking to change behavior. This is because the spanking didn't work. Let me give you what you deserve. Um, and I, I think we've got to keep remembering that because it's kind of, um, it's kind of bothersome now. Um, some, some scholars do speculate, uh, that if the mark is, uh, is a chip, you know, maybe there's an infection and maybe that's how it comes out. I don't really subscribe to that idea, but that is what some people believe. Um, but I want you also to think about this idolatry, um, of the, uh, the idolatry of worshiping the beast is demon worship and demon worship comes with some things. So what you do in the physical, Goes on the inside and then the inside, what happens on the inside comes out. So through my worship of Jesus Christ, by saying that I love him, by worshiping him, by tr- by trying to shift my behaviors, I've gained peace. I've gained joy. I've learned how to love. I've learned how to have better patience. And it comes out in the way that I interact with people. So demon worship works the same way. Okay, if you if you're worshiping the devil, you're worshiping the beast, you're worshiping all of these other things. The things that happen on that you do on the outside, go on the inside and then they produce fruit. All right. Um, And so I think. This this idolatry of worshiping the beast is just a manifestation. Um, I think this this plague or this this bowl is just a manifestation of what they're doing on the outside, you know. And then, you know, to me, it's also not difficult for me to imagine uh, there being a, a plague on the earth. Um, not only have we seen, you know, the black plague or the bubonic plague or, um, you know, Ebola, the Ebola, uh, excuse me, the Ebola uh, outbreak. Um, not only have we seen the Ebola outbreak in my lifetime, we've seen uh, chicken flu. Was it chicken flu? Uh, bird flu. I'm sorry. Bird flu. Uh, bird flu. Uh, we've seen all of these things, and then you got all these anti-vaxxers, and so a lot of the diseases that we thought were dealt with, they're now seeing a resurgence. And we're seeing this, This there there are things that are working, at, you know, right, you know, I, I'm from Birmingham, I live in Auburn, but two hours either way or less, um, Atlanta is the number one, um, is, is, it is an epidemic for HIV and AIDS in that city, um, and the number in Birmingham is not, low. Um, you know, so when we start, start thinking about diseases taking over and, and wreaking havoc, even if, even if it's not a literal bowl poured out, it's not hard to imagine something taking over of, of, of that sort. But because I believe God, I would not be surprised if all of a sudden we woke up one morning and there was some super disease or oh, well y'all woke up cause I don't plan on being here. I woke up when there was some super disease taking over. Um, and that's just something to chew on to think about opening your horizons Um, because you know, we are, it is the days that we live in. There are, there's information that makes all of this seem more and more plausible. The closer we get to it, uh, which tells me that the sages, the stage is definitely being set. Okay. Let's move on to verse three and the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of dead men, a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. So this is the second bowl now I, you got to kind of have to ask the question. You say, is this literal or is this figurative? Um, you know, we can look at Psalm 105 29 or Leviticus 17 11. Um, and you know, the first, this to me sounds like the first plague that led to Exodus. Uh, you know, if you want to check that Exodus 7, 20, uh, 15 through 20. Um, you know, but all of that in, in, in Psalm and Leviticus and in Exodus, all of that was very literal, which makes me believe that, that this, this, this will be literal. Now, Can you imagine the sea? And the whole sea becomes as the all these waters, all this water that is that is the world, uh, that is on the world, and every living soul died in the sea. Blood, blood everywhere. You know, and 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 this is I don't even think we should confuse. We you know there's there's been the red tie tide which wasn't really blood but the water looks bloody and that's when the animals in the water they multiply um, and the water turns red and everything in the water dies nothing can live there you know that is that a reasonable assertion i don't know if it's a reasonable assertion because um well it could be a reasonable assertion um because it says as the blood of a dead man um so i mean that could be a reasonable assertion um but then again because it says as the blood of a red of a, of a dead man and it's not necessarily blood Um, then we can think about things like the Exxon spill or the BP oil spill or any other oil spill. We can think about, um, you know, the fact that the, uh, great barrier Reef is dying. (laughs) You know, the, the fact that things are in the water are dead, but something so extreme that nothing can survive in, in this, in this state. Now that, that, that's a little, that's a little disheartening. But my thing is, we can definitely wrap our minds around an imbalance in the oceans. You know, we've seen the oil spills. We've seen things die. We've seen, um, you know, the red tide happens. Whether you've seen it literally or you've read about it, or you' missed it's the first time you've heard about it, it, it happens. Uh, but what about blood? What about blood? What happens if the blood, if, if the sea fills up and it's bloody, like in Egypt? What do you do with that? That's a good question. Let's go on to verse four. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountain of waters and they became blood. It's the third, this is the third bowl. Okay. Now all of this, I want you to remember is aimed at the beast worship. This is not aimed at you. This is not something that's going to keep you up tonight. After you listen to this is not some reason for you to stop reading revelation, stop studying revelation, stop understanding better. This is if you are saved and you have confessed Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that he is Lord, You don't have to worry about any of this. Okay. That's the first thing I want to assert. Uh, I know it's getting heavy. It's getting kind of thick. It's getting kind of, uh, um, now this is the deal. Okay. So, you know, verse three says that it became as the blood of a dead man, but verse four, verse four. Now this is the third bowl. It says, and the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of water and they became blood. So even if verse three isn't blood and is as blood, Verse four says that there the clean water becomes bloody. Mm. Yeah. Now what's interesting to me is that all of this is aimed at the beast worshipers now, and they are the ones who had been taking the blood of the martyrs. Um, this is that these are, these are the ones who had been, um, take, they been, they had been taking it out on the, on the martyrs and they refused, um, these, these, these are the ones that are there taking it out on the guys who refuse to worship the beast. You know, this is aimed at the folks who, you know, were drinking the blood, you know, if of, of sorts. You know, we're going to get to, in 17, and in, when we get to 17, um, we're going to deal with this other woman. And she's going to be drunk off the blood of the saints, okay? And I think that this this kind of sets the stage because he's already beginning this retribution of this woman that he's going to deal with, Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to say, I want you to kind of wrap your mind around is that God always avenges blood. I think a couple of times ago I talked about, uh, Cain's Abel's blood crying up from the ground. God is always an avenger of God. God is always on the side of the downtrodden. He is always there to pick up the guy who is, who is downtrodden and losing, uh, to help him, to move him forward. And so we we see this. We see this. If we don't see it in verse 3, we see it in verse 4 because because it's it's almost like a parallel, okay? You all want to uh, humiliate my people, the people who love me, who worship me. You talked about them. You mocked them. You killed them. Um, when I sent my witnesses down, you killed them so bad and you left their bodies in the street and laughed and scoffed and partied? I'll tell you this. The only thing that will be around for you to drink will be blood. There won't, there will. You will, you will be thirsty, and there won't be anything to quench your thirst. Now I find this ironic because the seas will be as blood, and the seas we can't drink that. That's not good drinking water. Uh, but the drinking water, the clean, the rivers, the fountains of waters, the things that men will drink from, will become blood. And so basically, he's clearing up, clearing out any way that they would have any clarity or clean, or cleansing anything that would possibly be a source of nutrients. He's wiping it out. Okay, anything that could possibly quench a thirst, they're going to be searching for thirst. They're going to be thirsty, looking for water. We'll be able to find it. You remember a couple of a couple of chapters we talked about? They will be looking for death, and death will run from them. They'll attempt suicide and will not succeed. They'll do all the right things, and they will look for relief, and relief will not be found. And so it's kind of, a. I, I want to pause here because it can kind of be one of those things where it's hard to deal with, hard to understand because if God is a loving God, God is a gracious God, if God is a merciful God, how could he do this? But what I need you to see, what I need you to hold on to, what I need you to remember is that time after time, opportunity after opportunity, he extended grace. He extended mercy. He opened his doors. He held his hands open wide and he said, if you would come, I would accept you. And then I want you to remember, two thousand years ago, he opened it up to anybody. Okay, that's how we're in the fall. He opened it up to anybody. So anybody who would come and call on his name, he said, would be saved. It didn't matter how what your sins were, didn't matter how rank you were, didn't matter where you came from. And these are the people who refused. They refused his ho- hospitality. They slapped him in the face. These are the people who were were were. You know, in essence, because of course they wouldn't be living in this time, but these are in essence, the people who crucified him. And when the earth quaked and moaned, they didn't get nervous. These are people with that. They sat that when God shows his facing, when God shows that he is God simply by himself, they refuse to see the truth. These are the people in Romans one that he said knew the truth about God, but refused to acknowledge him as God. These are they that, ne- that, that didn't want hope. OK, they didn't want hope because even for the ranking center, even for the guy who doesn't get it right, even for the guy who doesn't understand, he extends opportunity after opportunity. You got to think about it. They're in the middle of the tribulation. The church is gone. The great restraint of the Holy Spirit is is not there restraining back evil, and he still gives opportunity for men to come to Christ. He still gives opportunity. They, so many men will come to Christ that the Bible says that we he, he looked and there was not a number that they could even ascertain. They looked and there was not even a number in his experience. But he knew one hundred forty-four thousand. But he couldn't count high enough for how many people came to Christ. Couldn't count that high. Couldn't count that high. And so these people that these bowls of wrath, these vials of wrath, are pointed at are people who refused. Didn't matter how it was put. Didn't matter that it got heinous. That didn't matter that, that they saw, uh, you know, whether it's old times of old, whether they saw Christ rise. It doesn't matter whether um whether they saw the witnesses rise. It didn't matter whether they saw the church rise. It doesn't matter whether, whether somebody came and those witnesses came and told them the truth of what happened because they're not Bible scholars. It doesn't matter. They refused, and because they refused, they're ex- they're experiencing the due penalty. Of why. And I know that sounds it sounds harsh, but if we're honest with ourselves, most of us want to see the due penalty served, even though we've been pre- we've been these recipients of grace, recipients of mercy. Although we walked with God, and even though He's rubbed off on us some, most of us get angry enough at some point that we want to see retribution. And the whole purpose of the gospel. Of grace is that we would not face retribution, but this is what happens when we refuse to see and receive grace, we're faced with the due penalty. Okay, here we go. Verse 5 And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, which wast, and shall be, because thou hast judged us. This here, okay. This here, I want you to see that this right here is him saying he's righteous. And so he's not pouring out more than what they deserve because he's righteous. He's not giving them more than what they, the bill that they've racked up. They couldn't afford to pay the cost. And so this is the cost they're having to pay when Christ paid the cost, but they wouldn't take his voucher. That's what your salvation is. They wouldn't take his voucher. They wouldn't take his name. They wouldn't take his identity. And because they wouldn't take his name and they wouldn't take his identity, it's not the cost is not paid. And so they're having to pay for their sin. Who? Today I went to Jack's and I like Jack's. Jack's is an Alabama uh restaurant chain. I happen to have in the truck a voucher for a free combo. Okay. And so when I pulled up, I ordered, I drove through the drive-thru and I ordered, the guy told me 619, I didn't say a word. When I walked up, he said 619, I handed him the voucher. And he didn't have to say anything else to me. He had to go figure out how to use the voucher. But as soon as I handed him the voucher, that my cost went away. He handed me a receipt that, that had the cost and then it said waiver. And at the bottom, it said my balance due was zero. I never changed my money, never changed hand. Did I get the food? Yes, I did. Was the food delicious? Yes, it was. It was fresh. It was good. My French fries were hot. I could taste my lettuce and my tomato and my pickles all meeting that hamburger, meeting the cheese. It was great. I was really happy about it, but I didn't have to pay the cost. That's what salvation does. But had I shown up without the voucher, I would have owed that guy $6.19. That's what this is. He's asking for his $6.19, except they ran up a much higher tab than $6.19. Now, this this angel here there, there's an angel of the waters. And I think that this is something we can see because there are a lot of scholars who believe that there are angels assigned to each portion of God's creation. You think about it. We got angels who sit at the throne of God and their entire job is to is to maintain his holiness as if that needs to be maintained. That they're they're here. We see an angel of the waters who looks over the waters and and tends to the waters to make sure that they do what they're supposed to do. I believe that there are probably angels that look over the, the, the earth and the grass and all of these things, just like there's an angel assigned to you and your protection and all of that good stuff. Just like that, just like that, there is in God's plans, everything is already taken care of. And I think the fact that he inserts that tells us that it's already taken care of there, that none of this is haphazard. None of this is, is him out of his fury. Okay. Because even in God's wrath, he's not chaotic. Even in God's wrath, he's not, he's not all over the place. Even in his wrath, his wrath is calculated. Nothing's too much. Nothing's too little. The due penalty. And this entire time there's this reaffirmation, like I said, that God is righteous. And all of these things are justified. And because he's righteous, he knows exactly what he's doing. Now I also want you to see, um, it, it refers to him and says, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art, which was, and what shall be. Now, the original Greek doesn't say that shall be, because there is no purpose of speaking. Uh, to these people uh, about what about what shall be because they are void of hope whenever we see to, to which heart and what's and, and shall be that is an affirmation of hope. We're talking to God who has the history because he is the history who has the present in his hands and has the future in his hands. There's no portion. Actually in the original Greek, he doesn't even say shall be Uh, the translators threw it in there because it, it it appears multiple times in scripture that he shall be, he is going to be, he is the one that shall be, but there's no point in telling them about what shall be because they won't be there. They've denied any hope of hope. Thus it's a void. Okay. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. But when there's no substance to your hope, the hope is dead. You have none. When there's nothing moving, when you've not paired any action, when you, it doesn't matter. You've not done anything. There's there's nothing to act on. All right. Verse six. And for they have shed blood of saints and prophets and thou has given them blood to drink for they are worthy. Not only is this retribution, but this is the why. This is the eye for an eye. This is a bit Every bit, every bit of avenging of blood. Think about it. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And now he's given them blood to drink because you shed the blood of my folk. And you remember in, in scripture, he says, he says, uh, it is better for you to tie a millstone around your neck than to hurt one of my little ones. Remember he said that when, when, remember in, in his statement of that, he, it is, this is why. Because not only did you deny me, not only did you refuse my help in my hand, not only have you have you, act, have you pledged allegiance to a creation who is in rebellion, not only have you done that, but the folks that I love, that I made in my image, that I've cared for, that I've rocked and I've, I've protected, you shed their blood. And their blood has been crying up from the ground since you did it. And I would be no, I wouldn't be myself. This is God. If I didn't avenge their blood, and since you shed the blood, you are gonna get drunk on it, for they are worthy. You are going to drink what you have created, and I'm gonna, I'm, it's going, I'm, 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 I'm gonna make you sit there and take it. And remember, death cannot it's evading them, and so if the drinking the blood makes them sick, it makes them sick. If it messes with their mind, if it messes with their DNA makeup, if it, they, they don't have any choice in the matter because God is an avenger of blood. Verse seven. And I heard another out of the altar say, even so, Lord God almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. This echoes the fifth seal. Okay. And you know, as we studied the seven bowls, I think we need to notice that the first three are aimed at the men dwelling on the earth. It is retribution of sorts for the men. It is, it is about your rebellion and the fact that you could have had redemption. Your blood could have too have been avenged. You could have loved me, you could have walked with me, you could have talked with me, but because you refused, because you refused, because you refused. This is why the first three are aimed at the men dwelling on earth, just like the just like the um, the first the other ones, but the last four are going to be aimed at Babylon. Okay, now what's Babylon? In short, Satan's headquarters. Now we're going to really deal with Babylon extensively when we get to chapter seventeen and eighteen, uh, but Babylon, Satan's headquarters. Now the question is when, as we move forward and we start dealing with Babylon, is Babylon the literal place on the banks of the Euphrates or is Babylon another place? Or is it both? Because in 17, we're going to deal with this mystery of Babylon, something that has been hidden, but now is going to be revealed. And if it's something that is hidden and is going to now be revealed, that would suggest to me that maybe it is not literal Bab- Babylon on the banks of the Euphrates, but there is also, um, there's also, uh, prophecy that says that that literal place will be destroyed and never to be inhabited again. And a lot of people, and I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself because I definitely want to deal with this when we get there, but a lot of people, um, had an issue with this possibly being a place on the banks of Euphrates because Babylon was not even a thing, um, until, uh, Saddam Hussein started to try to rebuild and put Babylon back together. And then he stopped around the eighties and nineties. Um, but, but so could it be Babylon, the Babylon of, 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 of old, Um, a resurgence of that country? Could it possibly be? Or is it a, is it a country that resembles Babylon that has the attributes of Babylon? We're going to have to see, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that when we get to chapter 17. So let me stop talking about it and let's move on. Verse eight. And the fourth angel poured out his vow unto the, upon the sun and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. So I guess you're probably sitting here thinking, why the sun? Why does the sun, what does the sun have to do with anything? Because if the sun is a creation of God, what does it have to do with anything? Now, I want you to also, th- I want you to think, be, let's be thinking in this vein. As we started the seven bowls, we should notice, um, we need to, we like, we, we, we let's be, let's keep in mind that these four are aimed at Babylon. Okay. Now, uh, worship of the sun was the earliest form of paganism. Um, all other forms of paganism derived from it. Okay. He allowed their focus of their worship or the source to come back and bite them just like the blood did. Okay. Are we noticing that trend? Remember they killed the blood of the martyrs, And so he has them drinking blood. He's avenging their blood. Well, the first, the first world dictatorship happened in Babel under Nimrod. Okay. Babel is short for Babylon. It soon became Babylon later in history. Um, and it is the beginning place of all paganism. Okay. All, all paganism derives from the rule of Nimrod. Now you go back to Genesis 10, uh, then you, you'll, you'll see something about Nimrod and Nimrod was the first world dictator and he was the, he, his name literally means that we will rebel in the present tense. Uh, Genesis 10 talks about him being a mighty hunter before the Lord, uh, but that's better defined um, instead of before the Lord. uh, He was a mighty hunter in defiance of the Lord, according to the original context and text of of it. And even according to Josephus, Nimrod weaned men from their fear of the Lord by making them think that their happiness sounded, came from self-sufficiency. And it sounds so familiar to me because it sounds like so much of what we see on TV now. If you'll just think right. If you'll just dig deep into yourself, you can manifest anything else. How many times have we seen that? How many times have we seen that on TV? How many celebrities has that been their thing? Oh, just be nice and be kind. Uh, you can, you, whatever you need, you have to pull it out. And this is, you can just manifest it. Nimrod early in, in the existence of men worked to wean men from their fear of the Lord by making them think that they could look within themselves. That sounds, and, and, and I want you to be aware, that sounds like a practice that the Catholic Church uses, um, and not just the Catholic Church, but a lot of Protestants are starting to use it called centering prayer, where you, where we call it prayer, but you sit in there and you try to focus on a word, and the prayer becomes more about you being able to manifest something and get into a space than, than the sufficiency of God. Um, be very weary when somebody says suggests that you have everything and that you need on the inside of you. Sans God or apart from God, because anytime it seems that you can, you have self-sufficiency and you don't need to lean and depend on God. Anytime it seems as though you can make it happen as if it is all up to you, as if you have the, the, you are the one leading your life and making yourself move in the right direction. As long as you feel like that is the case, you're moving forward the cause of Satan from the beginning. Now Nimrod, after promoting what he soon he soon after promoting that men were self sufficient, he soon shifted, and he got men to follow and to bow down to him. Okay, um, Nimrod was a hunter of the sons of men. Nimrod was a world dictator in in the sort, and in the fashion of many of the world dictators we know today. They always are killing somebody. They're always subduing somebody. They're always enslaving somebody, uh, because absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. They always kind of start out, Oh, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, but absolute power always corrupts. Absolutely. And so he moved, he shifted his focus from a bad theology to a worse one. Um, but he was a, he was a hunter of the sons of men. But what was always interesting to me about Nimrod is that Nimrod still got men to follow him. Nimrod's goal was to kill and subdue men and to pull men from God. But as he was killing and subduing men and pulling men from God, men followed him because men and women are attracted to power or the appearance of power. Now, back to this verse, I'm kind of sort of back to this verse. The son was first worshiped by Nimrod, okay, and I'm, I promise you, I'm going to weave it back and it's going to make sense. And he built the first temple and he called it Babel. You remember the temple, the tower of Babel where God scattered the languages. You know, that story doesn't always make sense until you understand the context. Okay. That, that tower was not built trying to get to heaven. It was trying to disprove heaven. Okay. That tower in, 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 in the early parts of Genesis, it wasn't built to get to heaven so that they could worship. It was trying to disprove heaven. It was trying to expose heaven. And so God scattered the languages. He said, "Y'all have gotten too big for your britches. You have gotten, you have made up in your mind that you are going to try to do un- to understand something that your mind cannot comprehend." Now, I want you to also to think about this. So, the sun was first worshiped by Nimrod. All paganism—they have the same names and the same stories described in them, same or- origin. Okay, even the Maserat—you remember the Jewish system that they looked in the star- stars to, uh, to see God's plan—was corrupted by the zodiac. They kept the same names. And then the worship of Mars, they call that Baal. How many times do we see that throughout scripture? Uh, and then I want you to see this, that God expressly prohibits the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And they, this is, they, they yet did it. Deuteronomy 419, we see this. He says, unless, lest I lift up thine eyes unto heaven. And when thou seest the sun, the moon, and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven should be driven to worship toward them and serve them which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all the nations of under earth. Don't worship my creation, worship me, because I'm the creator. This is this is what God is, 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 is it's pushing his people to understand, but yet they chose. They chose. So as a result of that, as a result of that, of all the pagan religions in the world of past and of future and of present, the fourth angel poured out his vow upon the sun. And the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. They chose to worship the sun. They chose to worship the creation and the very creation they chose to worship. He's allowing it to burn and scorch them, to hurt them, to tell them up. fire next time. Because they chose to worship the creation, whether well, the creator, boy, Romans 1 is screaming really loud. They chose to worship the creation. Not the creator and it starts back in Genesis y'all there's nothing new under the sun but even what starts back in Genesis he's finishing here in Revelation just like he did avenging the blood it started in Genesis here he is avenging it avenging it in, re- in Revelation he's faithful like that okay verse 9 and when they were scorched, scorched with the great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues they repented not to give him glory so they're burning up. The fire is burning. The skin is burning. The hair is singeing them. They, their reaction instead of repentance, their reaction instead of repentance was to blaspheme the name of God. And they understood that he had the power over the place, but they repented not to give him glory. They refused. Here's, here's a, here's a, a, a doubling back that they refused to give him glory. You know, men, they're suffering dramatic sufferings. But yet they refuse to repent. They recognize that this is God, but they refuse to give him glory. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. But you know what's crazy is this is even prophesied in the scriptures, scriptures, several times. Let's just let's just go let's go through a couple of them real quick. Let's just see Deuteronomy 32. He says, For a fire is kindled in my anger and and shall burn unto the lowest hell. And shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. They shall burn with anger and divide with burning heat and with bur- bur- bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of the beast upon them with the poison of the serpents of the dust. In Isaiah 24, he, he says, uh, verse 4, he says, The earth mourneth and fadeth away, the world languisheth and, and fadeth away, and the haughty people of the earth do languish, and the earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant, therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they will dwell therein, are desolate, therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, few left, men left. Malachi 4, for behold, the day cometh that they shall burn as an oven, And all the proud, yes, yeah, and all that do wickedly, they shall stumble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. What I like about Malachi is that what he's doing, uh, Malachi exposes a little bit better uh, than the other ones, that not only is he burning them up, but he's burning them down to the root and to the branch. Okay, you remember the weed and the tares, and I know I'm going to deal with this later, and so I'm really trying not to use all of my illustrations, but you remember the weed and the tares, Um, that, 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 um, that, that story, you know, he says, let them grow together, so you got the good guys and the bad guys growing together, and so you can't tell the good from the bad, and then eventually he pulls them up, he separates them, and he throws out the bad guys, but he's plucking them up out of the ground, never to return. He's preparing a paradise, a life, a world without the evil spawn. He's dealing with the problem from the beginning. Remember, he made perfect man, perfect woman, put them in the earth, made perfect animals. And then the evil demon spawn decided to slither his way into Eden. And then he came in and he convinced the perfect creation to sin, to corrupt their bodies. He's digging up the root of the nastiness. He's digging up the root of the things that have bound us, the things that are so easily beset us. He is digging up the root of how heinous things could be. Are, not could be, are. He's digging up those things, and then he's throwing them away. Okay. Then then let's look at 2 Peter 3, all right? Whereby the world was then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Okay. That's an allusion to Noah. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. All right. Now this, for me, and I'm about to nerd out on you for a second. This, to me, makes the anthropic principle come to life, you know. And the, what the anthropic principle is, it's is kind of complicated because there is the weak anthropic principle and the strong anthropic principle. Do I believe all of it? No. Do I agree with all of it? No. But there is a principle that scientists hold near and dear to their hearts. And, and, and the essence of it is that if Earth was just a hair close to the sun, that it would be too hot you know, the universe is a very delicate and that it can't be changed by an nth. Uh, and there are thousands of rules that they say that if they were different by just a hair, that earth would be thrown out of, out of balance. Okay. So that here's the principle, the principle in short, uh, the week is that we must be prepared to take account for the fact that our, our location in the universe is necessarily privileged, right? And, and to the extent of being compatible with our existence of as observers. So in other words, we're privileged in our location. God, purposeful. Okay. Now this is me, preacher, not scientist. God purposefully placed us in the very spot that we were placed in, in the entire universe, in the entirety of the universe. And, and, and there's not a better space anywhere in, in not only the Milky Way, but in the universe to survive. All this talk about trying to cultivate life on Mars, all of this, the stuff about, we're going to abort earth. There is no better host for us as humanity. It was designed that way. He made sure that the earth tilted at the at the right times. He made sure that it, it, it moves at the right times. He made sure that it was it was perfect. Now, I want you to think about that because this anthropic principle says that things were placed in in, in the timing by God, okay? Well not by God, but anthropic principle says we are placed by privilege where we are. I threw in the God part because that's that's my conviction, that's what I believe. What I also want you to notice is where we were reading Earlier, um, in this chapter, God, he pours them, pours out his wrath on them for one reason that they were trying to change the times. Okay. They were perverting the things that were perfect. Okay. I'm looking for the verse. They were perverting the things that were perfect. They were trying to cause a shifting on what they didn't have the ability to do a shifting on. Okay. I say that all of this, all of this. For, for this reason, right? All of this for this reason. Because how could a Big Bang or evolution just happen to evolve into the perfect space, in the perfect place, by happenstance? Whenever I make a mess, things r- hard don't, they don't ever happen to make the mess in the sink. They always make the mess on the most inopportune places. You know, when I, when I spill something, I don't ever just happen to spill something in a great place. It's always in the worst place. And so chance leaving creation, leaving earth and humanity and the universe to chance proves the creation and it proves the sovereignty and the deity of God. Now, what's interesting to me about this weak and strong principle of the anthropic principle is that they love to try to throw this evolution piece in there. Okay. Um, like um, one of the guys, one of the guys who've been studying, he says the universe does not exist with such properties as an intelligent uh, observer could possibly have evolved within it. In other words, it couldn't have possibly been evolution. Now, I say all of that. I've titled that to this. Because this anthropic principle says that if anything moved a hair, it throws everything out of whack. Everything is clearly out of whack. And so the intelligent creator who put everything in order could so move it an in to take it out of order. To make those who have become so in love with his creation and not the, the creator. To show them what they are due. And how much he's been taking care of them even in spite of themselves. Now that's my assertion. I would presume that God, the same God who has balanced the universe, can throw it out of balance and then come back. And when he does the new earth and the new heaven, put it all back to the way that he said he was going to do it and make it perfect yet again. That's my belief. And, and I think, we you know, because we're on this little science tangent, it was Albert Einstein. They made the statement that it's easier to do nature plutonium than the evil nature of man. And that's, I think, what we're, we're seeing play out here in these, these chapters, is that even though this evil nature that these men, they refuse to give it up, and because they refuse to give it up, they're experiencing the penalty that, that there is thereof. All right, verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues in pain. This bowl right here has been poured on the throne of the beast. That tells me the beast is a man. Now, remember when the earth dwellers on the earth asked who can make war with him? We get the answer right here. God can. They asked the question, who can make war with him? God shows up and says, you better darn Skippy believe that any, it's not a matter of who can make war with him, but who can defeat him. And God stands up and he shows himself strong. Now this, this right here, his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues in pain. This is similar to the ninth plague in Egypt. Okay. From Exodus 10. Exodus 10. Let's read verse 21. Well, let's read a few few verses after verse 21. And 21 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And saw not anyone, not another, neither rose any, any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. This wasn't the absence of in Exodus. This wasn't the exodus, The absence of, of darkness. No, this was not the this was not the absence of darkness. I mean, this, I'm sorry. This was not the absence of light. Remember in Genesis, he separated the light from the dark. So 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 darkness is not just the absence of light. You know, this darkness could be the type of darkness that occurred between the first two verses of Genesis uh, when the earth became came without form and was, 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 was bo- void. Uh, people ask the question, when did Satan fall? Okay. When did Satan fall? And we kind of dealt with that a couple of, a couple of um, podcasts ago, but it just, let's refresh our memory. Isaiah 45, 18. And I'm going to come from the new, Rev- new revised standard version because I think it's a little bit clearer. It says, for thus saith the Lord who created heaven, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. He did not create it in chaos. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. But in Genesis 1-2, he says there was darkness until the spirit of the Lord begins to hover. Okay. So, to me, if if we're saying that there's a possibility for this darkness that's here in verse 10... To have been more than just darkness, like in our physical sight, it's possible that this is isn't just literal, literal, but it's spiritual. All right, it's possible that that is so dark that there's a spiritual darkness. There's a bleakness. There's a there's a closed eye, a closed spiritual eye. You know, to me, it's probably literal and spiritual. Um, you know, you think about in a cultural war, you know, the first casualty is always truth. You think about evolution, evolution to evolution. I don't, I don't understand how we could, we could come to such a, such an idea when there are still monkeys walking around. How could we come from monkeys if we're monkeys? Right. You know, the big bang, the big, the big bang. Come on. I, 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 there are some scientific principles that I think about that possibly could hold some weight, but this big bang theory, we're telling people that we think that one day, Something randomly combusted. It didn't have any kind of intelligent creator and it just came. Some of the ideas in psychology, even legalism, legalism, this idea that somehow our presence in heaven is going to have something to do with the way that we behave on earth in a cultural war. The first casualty is truth. And that's, that's, that's as dark as it gets. A life where there, a life where there is no truth is dark. It's bleak. There's no hope. Where there is no hope. What do we do? Where do we walk? How do we live? How do we survive? There, There is no hope. But yes, sadly, it's the way that we're moving in. It's the direction that we are headed in. And if that's the direction we're headed in, what do we then say? And so, to me, when I look at it, that his kingdom was full of darkness, I think this idea of hope, because here's the thing, Satan... Like I've said for several weeks, Satan is the master of deception, but beside his master of being a deceiver, he closes eyes and he masks it as hope. I think when he pours out this vial, this bowl, that this hope that they thought that he was going to provide walks away. Because they were already spiritually blind. they was already spiritually dark. But they thought that there was some hope. that maybe worshiping this guy was going to bring a brighter day. Maybe there was going to be some hope. But I think that when the earth goes black, it doesn't just go black in their seeing. But I think maybe they realize that it goes black in their believing. And maybe they don't realize it, but I th- still think it goes black, that hope. That hope that they held to that was false because everything that he gave them was false. Everything that he, he, he put in their hand and their hearts and their minds, it was false, but it was still hope to them. And that's just, that's my assertion. That's, that's my that's That's me re- looking at it, looking in between the lines, wondering, asking questions because his kingdom was full of darkness. His kingdom was already full of darkness. It's Satan. Okay. But are the people realizing that it's full of darkness? It goes black. I believe it goes physically black. And then when it goes physically black, I think what happens, he said, you know, he says, and they gnaw their tongues and for pain. I think when it goes black, they realize, boy, we have messed up. But even in their boy, we've messed up. I do, there's not repentance. That we're not going to see repentance. But then they're going to start craving pain because it has now become their identity. Remember, these are the people who took the identity of the Antichrist. These are the people who took his identity, who took on his cloak, who wanted to be just like him, wanted to look like him. They, they took their mark over the, over the forehead so that they, could, they could resemble him. And now that they realize that their hope is not good hope, that this enemy that they've painted is really the good guy, instead of turning, instead of repenting, instead of having hope or trying to say, maybe we've got it wrong, they begin to embrace the pain. They embrace the darkness. They gnaw their tongues for pain. Oh boy. That's heavy. That's heavy. Who wants pain? But you know what's crazy to me? is that there are people who, who's, who remain in, in, in the occult, or remain in sinful places, they remain in, 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 in things, and all of a sudden their craving for good goes away, that light goes away, that twinkle in their eye goes away, and as it goes away, they feed off of being wrong and being dark and being bleak, and it becomes normal. Normal. When I think about it, I think about my uh, my grandmother ha- has had a high blood pressure for the last 50, 60 years. She's had high blood pressure for a long time. Um, and in her, her high blood pressure bouts, her blood pressure has been so consistently high for the last 50 or 60 years that even if it got down to 120 over 80, if it got down to 120 over 80, her doctor would have a fit. Because it's, it's been so high, it's been so unhealthy for so long that if it came down to normal or healthy range, it would not be healthy for her. They know their tongues for pain. They know their tongues for pain. They had been so, so it's, it's, they've become so accustomed to the darkness. The darkness has now been poured out and they, they've realized it. But instead of turning, they became comfortable with it embraced it, called it their own. And then verse 11, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not their deeds. They blasphemed God, even though they have begun to crave the pain. So they can't see the redemptive power in him. They can't see it. And he's not pouring out grace. He's not pouring out mercy anymore. He's been doing that for thousands of years. He's not doing that anymore. That is not his identity anymore. He's still full of grace. He's still full of mercy, but not for these folks. But instead of saying, boy, we've screwed up, let's make it worse. And let's blaspheme the name of him for our pains and our sores. That's delusional. But judgment never seems to bring repentance. It seems to polarize even more. That's why men go to war. And they go to war and it doesn't matter what countries we invade. It doesn't matter who we, b- we decide to go after that. When we go to war, it doesn't change the hearts of men. We may go in and take some things, but it doesn't go in and change the hearts of men. Judgment doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't ever seem to bring repentance. It polarizes. It is grace and mercy as it is with discipleship that changes the heart. that changes the mind changes a life. It is with grace and mercy. It is with love, bathing people in love in spite of their, their craziness. But when he, they met the wrath of God, they rejected it. They rejected it just as they had rejected the love. It would be, be de- a different story. If he had not poured out love first, if he had not sent a son for them too, and they had not rejected it. But here they are experiencing a due penalty within themselves outside of themselves in the world that they have claimed their own. Verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now the river Euphrates is interesting in the Bible. It was in it was in Eden. And not only was it in Eden, it still exists. It's mentioned 25 times in the scriptures. It is the cradle of civilization. But it is also eerily going to be the grave of civilization. Now it was this it was the eastern border of Solomon's empire. It is Israel's destiny to be to the west bank of the Euphrates and not the Jordan. The Euphrates. It's interesting to me. Because to the west of it, we see holy land, hope. But to the w- east of it, it's always deep demon- demonic power. It flowed to the very place that life began, and it still flows. And I I think in many ways that speaks of the love and the endurance of God. But here we see that this thing that was there when life began, that's flowing into this day, as he pours out his wrath, he dries it up. For them, the life bread runs out. That's something that's rough. These are not things we preach to people who are babies in Christ. This is not something we teach folks who do not have a strong handle or understanding of God. Because this, this out of context could be wrong. But here we are with people who didn't reject him once. Or for a month. Or for a year. But for generations and generations. For time and for time. After opportunity after opportunity rejected him. And see... Rejection of God isn't even the slip-up sins that you make every now and then or every day, depending on who, who we are, what we do. No, rejection of God is blaspheming him and saying that he doesn't exist, that he does not have sovereignty. It is bowing down to Satan. And see, let me put this in perspective because bowing down to Satan sometimes isn't you bowing down and saying how, you know, no, it's, it's it's not that. See, see, sometimes you bowing down to Satan is you trusting your zodiac more than your Bible. Is you thinking that you're more self-sufficient than you are in your prayer. Bowing down to Satan. See, see, it's not something, it's not something that, that is, is 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 easy to see, but hard to get out of. But these guys, their heart, they had gotten so deep into it that their heart had been so hardened that when the truth showed up, they refused it. And so life dries up. Mm. Now, when we see this kings of the east, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared, there's a a classical translation that says the kings of the rising sun. Okay. We're getting ready for, for Armageddon. We're getting ready for the big showdown. And they're preparing the way that the, the the Euphrates dried up so that the kings of the world could get ready to go to war with God. Life dries up. Wow. Verse 13. And it says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of a dragon. And out of the mouth of the beast. And out of the mouth of the false, the, the false prophet. Remember frogs were the second plague of Egypt. Now you remember the plagues. The frogs respond to the magicians. The lice did not respond. They couldn't respond because they couldn't re- worship the demonic with the lice. You know that's when the magicians told God, told Pharaoh that God was God. But, but frogs throughout scriptures have a, a demonic overtone. Um, and that's you know. That's just something you can kind of think of. I think what we see here that, that these three unclean spirits come out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false, pro- uh, false prophet. We see um, another inkling of this demonic tr- trinity coming coming uh, forward. They're they're um, presenting themselves. Verse 14, and, and they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of, of the whole world and to gather them uh, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, is supernaturally inspired that they are going to war with God. They are going to war with God. These demonic creatures that got put out of heaven and have been influencing and been having children and and, repro- re- and procreating and building an army and wreaking havoc, and it seemed like they had really gotten comfortable with this thing, and they've, they've done all these things, are about to go to war with God. And for some reason, they think they can win. Now, how delusional do you have to be to understand that God put you out of heaven? And when he puts you out of heaven, you were thrown down like lightning. And he throws you out. And he reboots the earth. And when he does that, he comes up with a plan. Then you try to usurp the plan. And then when you make your efforts to usurp the plan, He bruises your heel, head, and he sends Men down the ages, you try to corrupt it, and then he still prevails. Eventually, Jesus makes it to Earth, and then when Jesus makes it to Earth, you try to tempt him. It doesn't work, and then he makes it to the cross, even though you tried to stop it. Oh, you tried to you tried first. You tried to stop it, then you tried to make it, you know, happen because maybe it wouldn't work. Then you convince people to try to hide out and try to prevent a resurrection and it didn't work. And then he ascends into heaven and his folks are left with power. The Holy spirit comes on the earth and he, he makes, he calls his multiplication to happen. He opens it up to not just the Jews, but now the Gentiles. And, and then you see Christianity taking over. Then you try to corrupt it and you move into the various churches and, and you try to, to make that up. You would think that after all of this time of watching you try to outsmart God and it not work, why would you think that you could go to work with, war with God and win? I don't, fight, I don't fight battles I don't think I can win. I don't do things. I don't go places. I don't ask people I don't think that are going to say yes. I, I just don't because I don't like to lose. So I don't quite understand that. Verse 15. Behold, I came as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Here we go. Now, if you've been paying attention throughout this study, you know that whenever we see a list of seven, that between six and seven, there's always a parenthetical passage. Now, this parenthetical passage is a little bit shorter than the other parenthetical passage. But here we are with our parenthetical pa- passage. So we see this shift of subject. Uh, and we can kind of compare the shift of subject to first uh, Thessalonians five, uh, starting at verse three. And it says, and, and then and, and when they say there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains a- come upon a pregnant woman and there will be no escape but you beloved are not in darkness for that day, that day to surprise you like a thief it's not going to take us we don't have to worry i think that's the whole point of of this i i i think i think that's the whole point is that you're not going to be worried have to worry about being caught because you're not going to be here because you've tended to your soul tended to your walk tended to your things now what's interesting to me is that this word garments in the old English uh, the word habit refers to the manner of life the manner of living so you've tended to your living but the French is adopted to clothing I think that's so ironic because it's our job to look like him and to live like him so we look like him we dress like him clothe like him we work like him we live like him and everything else he covers that he covers a lack all right verse 16 moving right along verse 16 and he gathered them together into a place in the hebrew tongue called armageddon armageddon um which is is translated uh, mount megiddo now mount megiddo i told you we're moving toward armageddon mount megiddo is about 60 miles north of jerusalem it overlooks the entire jezreel valley now i want you to put let's put this in perspective of what armageddon or mount megiddo is okay armageddon um, this place. I know we, we call it Armageddon, but Armageddon is a place that this war is going to take place. This is where Jer- uh, Jabin overwhelmed 900 chariots. This is where Gideon defeat Gideon's 300 defeats the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of the east. This is where Samson trium- triumphed over the Philistines. This is where Barak and Deborah defeat the Canaanite armies uh, led by Sisera. This is where Saul is slain by the Philistines. This is where Ahaziah was slain by the arrows of Jehu. This is where the Crusades happened. This is after biblical times. This is where the Arabs and the Persians and the Medes have all fought here. This is where this this plane is like the battleground of the universe. This is the battleground. This is where spiritual wars have been fought. Um, in biblical times and out of biblical times, this is where where carnal wars have been fought. Which seems like when there is a war that God is, deems to be worthy, that that war, that battle is fought right here in this valley. And that's where it's all going to take place. Oh, man. It's all going to take place in that one place. And in verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. This is the last strain of Satan's influence. Remember, he's the prince of the powers of the air. And he poured it out into the air. He's no longer the prince of the powers of the air. He's no longer. He's poured out his wrath upon him. He's, de- he's, de- he's torn him apart. He's desensitized him. He's taken away his authority there. Now, when we think about him being the prince of the powers of the, word, the, of the air, not only do I think about the air that we breathe, but I think about the airwaves. Television, social media, you know, it's it's always interesting to me that how on the news and on social media, I see way more embarrassing things for other people than I see good. Press the power of the air, you know, I make the joke a lot and I don't know how much of a joke that Netflix is the devil. Because Netflix enables me to be my worst self. It has so much unrated things and things that I'm too ashamed to say that I watch. But I still have a Netflix subscription. The Prince of the Powers of the Air, he's, he's, he's pouring out his wrath on the guy who has made us fall. The guy who has influenced us. Oh yeah, Powers of the Air, the influence, the airwaves. Because you think about it, the airwaves, is one thing, but the air we breathe, all of us is an, an influence. We go places that don't stink. We go places that do smell. That smell well. The prince of the powers of the air. But he poured out his wrath there, and then what he says, he says it is done. Now you might be sitting there confused because you're like, I thought he said it is done at the cross. But see, I think we misinterpret what happened at the cross. Okay, because at the cross he he said to die Okay, many of us know that he said to die you know, but but see, let's put that in perspective. In that day, when you went to jail you, and you had a debt, uh, you got a card, and then in, in, in that day, a card or you know how whatever they wrote on, you had a card, and so for each year you you got you served, you got credit, and once your sentence was filled, it was it was written to telesty and in, in, in our English, what that means is paid in full. OK, so that's why in when, in biblical times when when the jailer, they were so big on making sure they help. They kept kept people in jail, because if you escaped, the jailer had to pay your debt, he either death or time served. OK, so so to tell us that I know we like to think of it is finished. You know, we hung his head and he said it was done. It was. It, no, no, no. It wasn't done there. It was paid for there. OK, it was paid for there. It was paid for there. Here he's saying it's done. He's poured down and already claiming victory. Now I want you to notice that these bowls are specifically measured and, and calculated. That, that when it reached the right amount, he declares it is done. He had already paid for it. All right. He paid for the meal. Paid for the ride. Paid for the tools. But now... He's done what he set out to do. The thing that he promised to the woman and her husband after they made man mankind fall, this is done. The promise that he made to avenge, as all of the all of the promises that he made throughout the Old and the New Testament, it is done. I'm not a liar. I haven't. I, I've done exactly what I've said. I've done to the letter and to the T. Because he's methodical. Not only is it paid in full now. yeah. It's just not that I, did. I, I paid the bill, but now I went and picked it up. I've dealt with it the way I said I would. Verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came and remembers before God, to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now we're going to spend a lot of time right here. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. We're going to spend a lot of time right here next time dealing with great Babylon and the mystery of Babylon and the woman and Babylon and all of that stuff. We're going to spend a lot of time right there. Um, but I want you to understand there's something evil about the city. And not just because I'm, I'm in love with the country. But I want you to notice that that there's going to be a lot of focus on the great city here. And then next time we're going to deal with the city. For some reason, that that's that idea of that city um, brings this deification of money. It brings this exploitation of lust. The bigger the city, the bigger the problems. And there's something about it. I don't know what it is, why it is. I'm not I promise it's not me hating on you all in your cities, even though, you know, just about every big city I go to, I hate. And let me clarify that is I guess I don't hate the whole city. But I just, I am not one, (laughs) I don't like Atlanta, and I'm just a hop, skipping a drunk from there. I hated Atlanta, I hated New York. Um, Wasn't a fan of L.A., wasn't a fan of San Diego, wasn't a fan, was not a fan of um, the Silicon Valley. Um, Wasn't a fan, I wouldn't just, I just not, I'm not, I'm not a big city person. But it's not to say that I can't do, I cannot exist there, just not a city dweller. And if you count the pun, you've been paying attention. All right, let's move on. Verse 20. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about a weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Hail is mentioned in Job 38 and Isaiah 44. Uh, now, I want you all to think about this. Like, nah, So if it storms, if it tornadoed here, because we tend to have those, um, if we had golf ball size hell, we're in trouble. Okay. Ooh, really? If we had quarter size hell, it's not a good it's not a good day. These were the weight of a talent. Now, a talent, of course, was money. A talent weighed anywhere between 50 and 140 pounds. These were stones. Okay? Stones. Now, I want you to think about this. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone, ooh, look at that word, out about the weight of a talent, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. And for the plague thereof was exceeding great. What was the Old Testament penalty for blasphemy? I don't remember. It was stoning. And what do we have here? They've been blaspheming God all along. He's... And and his last bowl is the penalty for their blasphemy. He stones them all. He doesn't blow them up. He stones them all. He goes back to he goes back to who he is. And that's a message. He goes back to who he is and he handles it his way. Okay. I want you to think about it. These judgments, these these bowls of wrath are not our blessed hope, okay? Hold on to Titus two thirteen so you can sleep to sleep tight tonight while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is not that these guys are going to get retribution, not that these guys are going to get stoned, to burn up, or any of these things. That's not our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is Jesus Christ. He's what's going to save us from this stuff, what's going to cleanse us from this stuff, and prepare a place for us from this stuff. And also I want you to remember that this book, Revelation, is not about judgment. Judgment happens here. Wrath happens here. Nastiness happens here. Sin is dealt with here. But it's not about that. It's about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's about understanding more fully who exactly he is, what he is, what he supports, what is he, who is he. So let's be less concerned with the population of the earth. And let's focus on emptying hell and feeling heaven. Let's not worry about telling people, oh, you are going to get blah, 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 blah. But let's tell them about the grace and the mercy of God. And let's show them, help them help them see the beauty of this Jesus. So that they would not be stuck in this number. And be so obstinate to miss his glorious name. Well, good folks, this has been Revelation 16. Until next time, I'm Reverend Kojo and this has been Bible.